This guy's in love with you Yes, I'm in love Who looks at you the way I do When you smile, I can I'm telling you, man, I hate picking great songs as intros because I'm like, well, fuck this. Nothing I have to say is anywhere near as interesting as this song right here. It reminds me of when you and I were walking in Central Park, just holding hands. Not afraid. Shortly after a little rain shower. Yeah. Sidewalk still wet with what rain. Looking not around. In, yeah, not interrupting the moment with conversation. Just no. enjoying. Experiencing. Like, it was almost like the beginning of a movie in it like was. 1967. Yeah. <sighs> it's the Brian Oak Show, episode 296. I am Brian Oak. That is Sean Bernard. And here we go. A, a classic by Burt Bacharach. This guy's in love with you. It was a number one hit for Herb Alpert. That version we heard right there on the year I was born, that song went to number one. And you have another number one a couple of years later with um, They Long to Be Close to You by The Carpenters. Yep. I, and I, we're starting out with the music of Burt Bacharach because he passed yesterday at the age of 94. Mm. 94 is a hell of a run. But when you talk about influence in terms of Western popular music, it would be almost impossible to overstate the impact that he and frequent lyrical collaborator Hal David had on popular music. And I think a lot of people in this day and age, you know, that some people liked it ironically briefly, but I think a lot of people still sort of diminish it or... You know, put it to the the pile of elevator music. And I think that's such a terrible, terrible mistake. What the world needs now is love. Are you kidding me? Again, it got a little bit of a boost when mm-hmm. it was featured in Austin Powers. And he made surprise appearances in all three of those movies. But Mexican Divorce, Please Stay, Don't Make Me Over, or Don't Make Me Over, Walk On By, Alfie, I Say a Little Prayer, Do You Know the Way to San Jose? I, it, the list is almost too long to go on with, but luckily it's a podcast, so we can do this for hours. We can do this shit for hours. Anyway, <laughs> Burt Bacharach gone at the age of 94, which is sad. It is the Brian Oak Show here in the Smart Start MN Studios. Smart Start MN, Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. Here's the bottom line. Don't drink and drive. That's a sucker's play, right? But people, they can't seem to get out of their own way often, and people do it all the time. You drink and drive, you're going to lose your license even before you're found technically guilty, and you need to get back in your car. Yeah, you don't even weed and drive because that that can get you a DUI as well. What? So do they have a thing where if I blow and I'm not blowing fresh, well, wind, not blowing that that loud? I think you're, you're getting a DUI, so no matter what it's for, uh, okay. you've got a DUI. Yeah, so yeah. I would just say... Don't do that either and drive. Agreed. Agreed. Especially because you're going 30 in a 65 mile an hour. Or you sit at a stop sign (laughs) waiting for it to change. I'm not saying that I ever did that when I was younger, but it's possible that I found myself, thankfully, with no one behind me, sitting at the stop sign like, what am I still doing here, bro? (laughs) Oh, all right, let's go. Just waving people on by. No, go around. I'm waiting for the light. (laughs) I'm waiting for it. But the point is, don't get messed up and drive. It really is a sucker's play. But if it happens, we have friends at Smart Start. 
They are the founders of Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. They're the ones who worked with the state to make this thing happen. Other carpetbaggers have come in in the meantime. They are not Smart Start MN. No, we can actually save you some money if you go to good... I'm going to go back to that. If you go to smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show, that'll get you 20% off the installation of the ignition interlock. And it's already kind of, compared to everything else your Dewey's going to cost you, dirt cheap. I don't know why they won't let us say the price, but I just know this, that if you're looking to get back into your car and don't want to take a cab or an Uber everywhere, they're definitely the way to go. Sean, um, Burt Bacharach, I, you know, again, I don't pretend to be chapter and verse, but when I go back and listen to all the things he did and the people that he and Hal David worked with, I think it's actually impossible to overestimate the cultural impact of what Burt Bacharach did. And again, not everybody in the 60s, right? I mean, this is a time of amazing cultural upheaval, right? Whether we're talking along racial lines or the Vietnam War or youth culture suddenly becoming the predominant culture in American, uh, the American culture. Not everybody could be part of a, you know, subversive violent, rebellious organization, yeah. right? Like, there had to be music for the Marsha Brady's and for Marsha Brady's mom. There had to be. Burt Bacharach was one of the most important voices of the 60s on into the 70s. But early on, both Burt and Hal David, who were obviously clearly important songwriters, they aligned themselves with certain performers and they compelled each other. Dionne Warwick early on, long before she was a host on Solid Gold, which was the first time I ever heard her name, she was an incredible R&B performer. And T up with a again she elevated their songs they elevated her persona all of it together i i'm trying to avoid saying something as awful and cheesy as teamwork makes the dream work but sometimes it really fucking does right here's what the world needs now by dion warwick and the recently departed burt Backrack on the brian oak show
I'm just sitting here going through the list of accolades, songwriting credits, celebrity wives, impact on American culture of Burt Backrack, and I can't do it. There's there's literally too much there. I'm sure there's a killer documentary or five out there you could probably track down, but Dead at the Age of 94, as of sometime last night, just found out about it today, and it's um it's weighing rather heavily on these shoulders. Luckily, we've got someone to lift the tension, lift the stress Bring us all to a place of ease. Today's guest on the Brian Oak Show podcast is a colleague and a peer, someone I worked with for a few years briefly, but these days he finds himself in a relatively new position, at least for the last couple of years, and it seems to be one that fits him like a glove. Sean McPherson is our guest today, and he is currently the music director and afternoon host at Jazz 88. Is that KBEM? That's correct. All right. Well, it's good to see your face, man. How are you? I'm good, except hearing you say currently makes me feel like I only got a handful of months. No. Currently, the music director and afternoon host until June. I, I no, I, I was comparing it to the fact that we both used to work at a public radio station sure, together, sure. and that's where we kind of got to know each other much better. But the first time I ever saw you, you know, not only are you now a seasoned, some would even say haggard radio vet, <laughs> but I mean, long term, you are. I'm a musician. That's how you find your way into this world. Basis and co-founder of Twin Cities legend, High Respects. Uh, but the very first time I think that you and I ever really shared actual words, you were playing bass for none other than Dessa out at an Oak on the Water. Is that right? Yes, you did an Oak on the Water very near a Kowalski's in White Bear Lake. I remember area. it, yeah. And I, I, I knew your name and known your name, heard you on the radio for plenty of years, but I never had the chance to interact with you. Right. And got to see you'd be a total charmer, like Ugh. just dealing with Dessa. And you did the interview, <laughs> of course, with Dessa. And I, and I had Veronica Rodriguez, who was your engineer at yep. the time, who then became a friend. I already knew her from McNally Smith. I was just like, oh, what a great vibe at this Oak on the Water. I'd never been to one. And I, I just had really warm feelings about you since then. Well, and same. And it, I mean, it was very low key. And that's the great thing about Oak on the Water and those kind of events. There's not really anything at stake. You show up, you have a drink, you enjoy some live music, you sit by the lake in the summer, which is kind of what people are doing already. And so that legacy of that was great. But I still, and she did it again last year, can't believe that Dessa even knows what my fucking name is. I, it, it, just, it blows my mind when certain people show up at these events. I'm like, I don't know. Okay. Now... I don't even know where to start. Before we talk about your current gig with Jazz 88, and I know that that's occupying a great deal of your thought. Also, because Jazz 88 is currently sort of in transition, you and I are actually working in the same floor in the same building in St. Louis Park at Planet Utica right now. We don't cross paths that often because I, I'll be honest, once the morning show's over, I'm the hell out of there. And you're an afternoon guy, all right? But let's go back a little ways. So before we even get to high respects, for people who don't know the name Sean McPherson, where are you from? I am from Williamstown, Massachusetts. All right. So I uh, got two Midwestern parents, and then they met in Chicago. My dad's an academic, and he had a gig at Williams College, which right. is in the northwestern corner of Massachusetts. So I grew up there. I was born in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, and played music there. But I moved to Minnesota, moved to St. Paul when I was in 10th grade, when my dad got a job here. That's a crazy time to make a transition. Before we get to that transition, what was it like as a youngster growing up in a college town? Was it cool? Was it weird? Did it make any difference? Did it just seem like a normal hometown? There was a lot of difficulties growing up in that particular college town. I, I had some good experiences. I made some great friends. Yeah. This was not a place, the actual culture of the town was not music excited. It was not, basically, unless you did really well in academics or unless you did well in sports, 
they could care less about you. Right. And I had a very different experience when I got to St. Paul Central. But being there, I felt kind of like the odd man out being into music. I was in a band in sixth grade called Fungal Toxins. And <laughs> yes. Of course uh, <laughs> you were. Of course you were. And, and we played the gym. And some kids came to support. But some kids came to like hate and like throw pennies Jeer. at us. And, yeah. <laughs> there's a, yeah. Uh, we should have sold jeering tickets. We would have sold out. Uh, and and <laughs> Just to throw batteries at the band, right? <laughs> so I, and, at what point? At what point early on? Because obviously, music's always been a very important thing to you. Whether it's listening to your parents' record collection, finding a particular radio station, or getting that right music educator, right? Because sometimes finding the right teacher can change everything. When does music become your primary motivator? Seventh, eighth grade, yeah. and 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 more, more. Everything you've said had played some impact. My brother. And grunge. My brother wanted to play guitar, yeah. and he had liked bands like Jesus Jones, and I was like, "This is fine." <laughs> and then right s- here, right now, yeah. Yeah. yes. <clears throat> and then at some point, somebody gave him a tape that was like the entire Pearl Jam ten, and maybe a couple songs from Nirvana's Nevermind, yeah. and it it changed things for both of us. And I just, I, my brother lives in the Twin Cities now, but there is really nothing like having your brother be into something. To make you get into it, and it was that era. I was just going over with your coworker Fletcher. Yep. Um, uh, this this moment where I got to see Pearl Jam before I had my first day of sixth grade. Right. Like, Wild. Right. Like, and, and it was just absolutely formative. So that wow, that was the big thing. It was it was Pearl Jam. It was my brother. Well, and so and so, I mean, and you're not alone. I think that when Nirvana and Pearl Jam broke, when grunge broke, it didn't just change you or me or the people that we know. It literally changed the landscape of American music, right? And so these things change. But then you grow up, you're doing the bass, you make your way back here. But obviously, a huge part of what you do and how you do what you do became jazz influenced, right? Jazz is obviously a big part of it, and hip hop as well, which is. I don't want to say a far cry, but it's a it's a ways down the road from grunge. At what point does that kind of music become important to you? Maybe ninth or tenth grade. All and, right. and a little bit of that is if you show some technical facility on your instrument, right. I feel like most educators are going to go, go get the jazz book. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this guy might actually be able to play. <laughs> this kid already learned all the scales. Okay, grab the jazz book and, and we'll mess with him. I had a, a great bass teacher uh, who's a, a name nationally now, but my bass teacher was Sean Hurley. At the time, he had like played bass for Arlo Guthrie because hmm. if you're from Berkshire County and you're a good musician, you play for Arlo Guthrie. It's really? sort of like, That's it's, how it works? Yeah, <laughs> it's a program. Um, he went to Berkeley. He was doing a cool blues band, and my mom took me to see the blues band. Then she said, you're going to teach my son how to play bass. And he said, sounds good. And I had him. But then that blues band broke up. He moved out to Boston, and he joined Vertical Horizon. So he was the bass player for Vertical Horizon. Wow. And then turned his life into like sort of an L.A. studio guy who, when I call him now, he's like, hold on for a second. Listen to my order at Starbucks. This is what I get. This is what you should get. Like he's very, has become very Los Angeles. You're saying he's gone Hollywood. He's gone. In the best possible way. Well, that, but that's great. I mean, if, if as long as he's still a normal human being, I don't mind the window dressing. In fact, I kind of like being around Hollywood types for very brief periods of time, right? I don't want to live that lifestyle, but as long as they're doing it right, they're doing it right. So you start to learn about jazz. You're playing bass, jazz bass, but then hip hop is not, I mean, obviously adjacent, but it's not automatic. I mean, you move here. How do you become affiliated with what goes on to be I think that this town's always had a pretty good legacy of hip-hop, as long as hip-hop's been around, right? 
but when we talk about sort of the 90s as it evolves and it's jazz influenced, but there's still great bars and verses and stuff in there, how do you get caught up in that particular cyclone? When I was trying to figure out where I was going to go to high school, I took a tour of St. Paul Central and one of the first rooms they opened up, they were like, oh yeah, this is this band Black Hole that's just rehearsing down here. And Black Hole is basically, uh, High Respects cribbed a lot of what we were from what they were. So it was like two rappers, keyboard player, bassist, drummer, and they just opened the door. This is at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday. And I was like, okay, I'm going to this high school. Like, <laughs> if, if the next room they were like, yeah, and there's snakes that attack you every day. I go, oh, that's fine. I don't, I'll figure out the snakes. Like, sure. Um, and I met the teacher, Red Freeberg, who's still somebody who I'm close with, who ran, ran this program. And I realized this is amazing. So at that moment, seeing those players, I had never witnessed a live performance of hip hop in my life. And I don't mean with a band. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen somebody on the microphone, period, let alone with a live band. And I came into this scene where it was not unheard of for jazz people to already be connected. There's a famous jazz group, or famous to me, called Casino Royale from yep. the early 90s, mid-90s, and they were playing with Full Circle, and they were doing, I think, Tuesdays, most Tuesdays at the Red Sea. This is before I could get into the Red Sea, but I was going, oh, this is amazing. I can listen to a Casino Royale record. I can imagine them with these rappers. So although I think Higher Specs has broken some new ground in our you know 25-plus year, well, 25-year history, there was a precedent for this, and there was already live musicians collaborating with um, with rappers and things like that. I saw that, and I thought, I want to be a part of this. So, I mean, and again, it's never easy. You can't ever pick one day where, oh, this new genre was invented. I mean, you go back to, you know, uh, spoken word or word jazz by Ken Nordine, or you go to Gil Scott Heron, or uh, along the way, these things continued to evolve moving on. You know, Guru with Jazzmatazz, right? I mean... These these are natural bedfellows, right? Jazz and hip hop. I just they they're obviously not that far away from where they came from, but they continue to remain when done properly. Very very interesting. We've talked too long, and I would like to hear a song by said high respects. I'd like you to tell me about this song. Uh, this is the newest song. We have our full album out, but this is the song that's the current single, and we're finishing up a video for it, and it's called Thunder Sound. But now we'll we'll run down all those details because, I mean, 25 years in, you're still making new music. You must be having a good time. Yes, we're especially having a good time now that the pandemic's over. Yeah. <laughs> the- we'll, we'll talk about that coming up. I'm sorry, what's this song called? It's called Thunder Sounds, and it's just the story of Felix, kind of how he became an MC, the leader of Higher Specs, the vocalist of Higher Specs, how he came up, and it talks a lot about our life and our time together. Just count, 
Now, obviously, that deep thumping bass is our guest, Sean McPherson. I just need to know, during some of those sweet hooks, during that great chorus in that song, are you there singing in the background? Are you doing background vocals? I I was not tapped to provide any of the dulcet tones on those things. I don't know if you've ever heard me carry a tune, but if you have, you're the only person who ever has. Okay, all right. Well, And I haven't, and so that's why I asked. I mean, like, I know, I've seen High Respects before, and I know that you play the bass, and uh, you like you like to wear it nice up and high, right around your neck. Um, but I, I mean, I played jazz. You got to wear it high. You can't. Exactly. You can't. You, well, you're not doing that low slung thing, right? You're not in a grunge band. Okay. I'm not Ben Shepard. Sound? <laughs> are you with me? I am. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Sean McPherson is our guest, and before we continue to talk about what's up with High Respects and what he's up to these days, because I like it when people are multifaceted. These days, he's become a complete corporate radio hack and i cannot wait to talk to him more about that but first i want to talk about moxie wealth management now one of the things about moxie joe and his entire crew they pride themselves on a comprehensive approach to wealth management and i I think that 
I think that that phrase could deter some people, right? Like, you don't have to come to the party with $5 million, right? When it comes to wealth management, it's all your assets. It's your property. It's your debt. It is your uh, insurance. It's everything that you have on the table. And when we start to look at a certain age, we need to start thinking about what does the future look like? And that's where Moxie Wealth Management comes in. Long time ago, Joe uh, climbed Mount Rainier out in Washington, and that was the inspiration. That's why they've got a mountain in their logo right now. And he said without the support he had gotten in order to do the work he did from all the different people involved, it never would have happened. So I think we can all see the metaphor there, right? You need people in place to help you ascend the mountain you want to get to. Will you reach the tippy top pinnacle? Maybe not, but you're going to be safer than you otherwise would be when they give you guidance at every single step. And that's what Moxie's up to. So you're saying you and I might just want to shack on the mountain? Nope. Nope. No. Nope. I mean, I mean, our own individual shacks. Not, what if, what if not we? Together. What if we got a shack somewhere a little closer to Seattle, and then when we wanted to go to Mount Rainier, we could go together. I love that. Okay, now you're talking. A little right snowshoeing. Yeah. Uh, real quickly, by the way, I should mention Joe Burgess is a registered representative and investment advisor representative of Securian Financial Services Incorporated Securities and Investment Advisory Services offered through Securian Financial Services. Uh, Incorporated member FINRA SIPC North Star Resource Group is an independently owned and operated. Moxie is affiliated with North Star Resource Group and is independently owned and operated. 2701 University Avenue Southeast, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55414. Sean McPherson, um, Tell me this, because you did high respects for a long time, and then the certain public radio station I referenced earlier, The Current, who gives a fuck? Um, <laughs> we, we Is both, that the new tagline? We, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, 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 I'm wow. not suggesting it is. I no, just, no. <laughs> Here, here's one of the things I loved about working with Sean McPherson. Not afraid to say whatever the fuck was on his brain. Brilliant. The Current, who gives a fuck? Um, no, but you and I worked there for a long time, but... You know, you don't just, just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, you don't simply walk into radio, right? Like you have to know people or you have to bring a certain skill set to it. What even drew you to radio in the first place? I I believe that enjoying having conversations and enjoying talking about music drew me to radio and sort of, or rather, once I got there, helped me be qualified to, to, to have a standing in it. I think there's a lot of musicians who go, I'd probably be pretty good at radio. And I think okay. not just musicians. There's a lot of people out <laughs> yes, there who are like, yes. what do you do? I could do that. Yeah. I have a new theory. That Give her a shot. If you're going to be good at radio, you think you'll be bad at it. Like, yeah. It's somebody who's like, I don't know if I would work. I think you will work. Yeah. I, I think you could really be a good. You're player. bringing the kind of energy, the kind of main character energy we're looking for in a new host. <laughs> there's a uh, uh, one of the guys I work with at Jazz 88. Johnny has this thing. He's like, oh, you're thinking about getting into radio? What kind of pay cut are you looking to take? Which, <laughs> nice. <laughs> literally, my first. First job in radio, I took a pay cut. I was working in a nonprofit environmental organization as a manager. I took an $8,000 pay cut to go be the morning radio show host at the first place I worked at. So it turns out 30 years later, still true. <laughs> still true. So, I mean, you were drawn to it, and then you go to work at The Current. And what, what kind of things were you doing at The Current? I mean, I know, but to, to, for yeah. the people out there. So I'm, another thing that I, I do is I run a trivia company called Trivia Mafia. Correct. And now I, I must really change that. I 
own, I co-own a trivia company because I do. Basically, in 2023, I stopped doing any work for them. You're just, not. You're not own. You're not writing the questions every night at Thursday until <laughs> two in the morning. Now it's just a matter of here you go, and you. But you own the company, and Trivia Mafia is still the predominant trivia entity in town. Correct? Yes, and we made it through the pandemic stronger, which is a, a really wild. Really? Yes. What do you attribute that to? Because people weren't going out for two years. Right. I attribute that to Chuck and Brenna, the folks who really run the company. A, being really smart about going, this is the perfect time to expand and diversify our writing staff. Okay, so we're going to have more people of more ages, of more races, of more genders writing our questions. And that is going to provide a better product and a better offering. Well, and a better balance and a better interest. And and then uh, what I like about what you just said right there is even if you come across something that you're not in that Venn diagram – you get a chance to learn, right? I mean, trivia is about having fun, and of course people are competitive and they want to win, but to me, and like you said about having conversations, it's the only reason I do this fucking podcast. I I just like to talk to people because you get a chance to learn, and I feel like you taking a more varied and diversified approach to that seems surprisingly enlightened and intelligent. Good on you. Well, well, thank you, and and really good on uh, Brenna and Chuck, and also... Uh, we got a challenge from somebody who at the time was just a player named Andrea, and they said, like, y'all, it's really vividly clear who runs this company. And that it's a bunch of white people. Yeah, yeah you know, and it's specifically <laughs> two male two men who are white who are right. forty years old. And right, like, right. Okay, cool. And and Andrea is now in the fold working with us and but that first feedback was a, a you know, a bit of a wake up call. We didn't need a hundred percent wake up call. We, yeah. You know. But it was really helpful to get that guidance and we've we've acted on it. I think that's made us stronger. Well, I think that's brilliant because again, you know, we're not talking about curing childhood cancer, we're talking about trivia nights, but it's a big enough business that you have done this for a very long time. And why not have even trivia nights reflect the world around mm-hmm. us that we live in, right? I mean, that seems to make a lot of sense. A hundred percent, and I feel like we're doing a better job of that than we ever did when I was in charge. I'll say that. All right, let me ask you this then. So, I mean, we're going to talk more about high respects in our final segment coming up, but if people want to know about Trivia Mafia, people are like, oh yeah, now that we're getting back out there, maybe we should go play bar trivia again. Is there a ground zero for Trivia Mafia? Yes, TriviaMafia.com is, is the ground I bet zero. I could have even found that. Yeah. I probably could have, but I always <laughs> like to... I, old I, Bing Brown. Uh, 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 let me just ask Jeeves real quick here if I might all right I'm sure there's a GeoCities chat room somewhere that I could find out something more about that high respects um doing it still I was gonna say back together but I realize that's a misnomer obviously the pandemic shut everything down for a long time for a lot of people um but now let me ask okay so you said you're what 20 25 years in yeah, we got started in 97, so 25 okay. years. Which, again, is no small feat. And the fact that you can all still tolerate each other, the <laughs> fact that you still get along, the fact that you're still making music, you feel good enough about to release, because that's not always the case. How? I mean, that's a quarter century, my good man. I mean, I know there's friends and friends, and other, but I mean, people change, times change, everything changes. Why is high respect still important to you? I think high respect is still important. So we, we've come came close to breaking up a couple times when we were ending our tenure as a full-time band. This is our living. This is how you pay your rent, or this is how you feel comfortable living in your mom's house because you can't pay your rent. Um, and, well, that's the life of a working musician, right? Yes, especially a young working musician. We're, we're trying to get through these lean years, and there's this moment where suddenly we're realizing, oh, we're really coming up against some hard financial realities, some hard musical realities. I remember a couple of years after that, I am talking with the whole band, and we're on the edge of breaking up at this particular rehearsal. And I say, 
no matter what else I do in my life, this will be the most important band I'm ever in. And unless I have kids, this will be the more, most important thing I've ever been a part of. Now, and when you're talking about breaking up, you're not. it's not like because there's wicked artistic differences. It's just like realistically, I need to find a job. I, I have, I mean, or, or were there... Wicked artistic differences. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I, I, and again, I'm not really a TMZ guy. I don't like to dig into it. But I mean, usually, you know, like, again, financial realities are also very important. Like, we're not making any money. This is over. But, but people were not seeing eye to eye, you say. Yeah, and you have to wonder this in a band. Are we... Are arguing about the B section or are we arguing about being broke like right, you know because right, right, right. those feed into each other I feel like you can argue about that in a marriage or just about any professional <laughs> <Yes>. situation actually <laughs> this is a, we were working on a song called we want a new flow which ended up being a really cool song for yeah. us but at that moment we were gathering it, it it was just we it got so bad in the rehearsal space that we were like let's continue this the next day at a coffee shop after it closes where one of the guys worked and I, and it was this moment where I think we've come through, we had a relatively scary van accident where we totaled a van mm-hmm. and like a couple folks got cut, like uh, Felix had got some cuts on his back. Nobody, hey. nobody, you know, right. nobody got really, really hurt, but we totaled the van. We're driving back from Fargo with no uh, mirrors on the side because they both came off in the accident and we're just getting home. We got through that. We got through so much stuff that at some point I think we all felt we have sunk so much of our lives into this. Mm. Let's keep on making sure it works for all of us. And that means that we've passed up a lot of things that didn't work for one of us. That means we've made a lot of decisions that are us-centric as opposed to career-centric. But I think because we realize that we're all in it, we're going to make it work for all of us. So it means just a lot of lot of emails, a lot of conversations about where it goes. But once you've almost broken up, things get a lot easier. You go, oh, this is this is about as bad as it can get, and I still love y'all. Well, and then, then I think right there is the crux of this. Again, whether we're talking about being in a rock band, a hip-hop band, being in a relationship, whatever, once you hit that dark spot, right, then you come out the other side, as long as everybody's upfront and honest all the time, and nobody's like, I'll just take a back seat on this one, whatever, I think you have to get to that dark spot before you get to the brighter spot on the other side. Well, I'm glad to hear it. You got a new record out, don't you? Yes, and and our record a little bit alludes to the fact that every time we put out a record, people go, oh, you guys didn't break up because, you know, (laughs) (laughs) we probably average five shows a year, and and that's a different pace than you're going to see from a lot of young musicians. That's a different pace than you're going to see from a lot of full-time musicians. And so a couple years ago, a random uh, Facebook post came up where somebody said, Pretty random, but what happened to the higher specs? Oh, and and that started circulating amongst the band, and I was like, "That's the name of our new album." This it's is brilliant. <laughs> I mean, pretty random, but what happened to the higher specs? <laughs> There's it, it, that sentence is doing a lot of work, including the fact that we don't usually go the higher specs. So it's like it's kind of like brilliant. Yeah, it's it, no, it's fantastic, and it turns out higher specs are alive and well. We already heard a song, and we'll talk more about what they've got coming up in the year to come. Right here, though, I want you to tell me about this dude. I, I know his name. I know he's a local guy. I know he's a very accomplished musician. Beyond that, I would be disingenuous if I told you I knew a single thing about L.A. Buckner. Help me out. L.A. Buckner is a really impressive drummer, and on this record that came out in 2020, I found out that he's a really impressive composer as well. Mm-hmm. I met him when I was working at McNally Smith. He was a student, but he was already eclipsing a lot of the instructors really? as far as his, his skills. That must be wild to watch, by the way. I don't mean to interrupt you, but like to watch... The student become the master. Like some people are preternaturally gifted, and to watch them. I mean, I watched it happen even in high school, like in English class. I would watch people be like talking circles around the instructors. I'm like, 
wow, you are in trouble. You are going to detention. <laughs> but this guy obviously had it. Yeah, and he had uh, uh, still has this zest for collaboration. I've had the joy of playing a little bit of music with him from time to time, but primarily just from afar, admiring his zeal for music and and frankly also his like sort of it's a family affair type of deal. A lot of times when he plays, it's with Big Homie, which is both the name of this album, but also is the name of like his live performances. And it's one of those things where it's a slightly different group of musicians each time. And L.A. leads from the drum kit in that way that sometimes I go drummers are the best leaders because they just suddenly you're you're drawn to the back of the stage and he's he's coordinating all these things. But he's got this tune. ooh we. And to me, it was the tune where I went, oh, wow, he's a great writer as well. And this is an album, when he put this out, it catapulted to the top of the iTunes jazz charts, albeit briefly, but on that release day, he mustered his audience and his fan base where it hit number one for a number of hours. I don't care if it's a half an hour. <laughs> Hitting number one on iTunes is kind of a big deal. Yeah, and, 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 and the last thing I'll say about L.A. Buckner is he's one of those artists I point to when I go, jazz is not dead here or anywhere, there's an incredible group of musicians who are making it happen, and L.A. Buckner is one of them in Minneapolis.
So that song illustrates a couple of things to me. There are people who are more accomplished and better musicians that I can really even get my head around. And two, what the fuck, jazz? What are you doing, man? I, I, jazz, I've, it makes me feel dumb when I listen to it, Sean. It, it, I know that it, you know, there's improv and I know it follows a lead. I get the very, very basic tenets of it. But when you hear people play like that and it's like, well, that doesn't sound quite right, but it's still fucking gorgeous or amazing. Jazz, it makes me feel dumb. It makes me feel small. Why is that? It's, I believe it's because of how jazz has been presented to you in, in the wrongest of ways. Right. Which is that it's been, I think it, it is worthy of academic study. Yeah. I think it is not deserving of academic treatment. It is a oh. spiritual music. It's an emotional music. You hear, and L.A. would say the same thing, you hear more from the black church than you hear from the bandstand in L.A.'s music, right? Like, this is a, he's a huge gospel drummer. It's a huge part of his world. But I think we've been told, oh, if you can't tell me what a major ninth chord is. And what, I can't. Right. Then suddenly you can't <laughs> enjoy these notes together. If you can't, if you can't tell me, you know, what the Charleston is, you can't enjoy this music. It's a, no, j- just enjoy it. And yeah. it's the, this music can be as welcoming or as alienating as the Velvet Underground, and they don't know how to play their instruments, right? Like, exactly. so, <laughs> Nor did they know how to tune them, yeah. all right, before they, before they picked them up. They didn't know that either. That was very enjoyable. I just, you know, jazz confuses me, and jazz is obviously a big part of the life you're living right now in terms of the next phase of your radio career. Before we get into that, I do want to check in with Sean real quick, though. Sean, also a sponsor on this fine show, and specifically with your realty endeavors. Now, I know it's warmer right now, and it's going to be a nice balmy thing, and people are going to be like, oh, it's over. Spring is upon us. Here we go. You fools. You fools. You know that's not the case. However, that being said, people are at least beginning to get in the mindset, if they're of a mind to move, to start thinking about moving. You work for Edina Realty, the 50th in France location. What's that all about? Uh, things are picking up, and uh, that's the weird thing is the Super Bowl hits, and people do get into spring mode because they bet. start thinking about you know, not wanting to be in their home after spending the entire winter there. They're like, you know what? <laughs> Let's not remodel. Let's get out. Let's yeah. go someplace else. Let's beat it. I just had a, I have a couple that's moving up uh, from Georgia, and uh, it's kind of odd to understand for some of us because they live on an island in Georgia, and they're moving to Minnesota. To and, the tundra. In the, you know, early spring, late winter. Uh-huh. And they just, uh, they're just like, we love this house. Tuesday, they're like, we love this house. It was gone by Wednesday. Yeah. So people, the, there's perception and there's reality. You look, you know, you listen to the national news or watch the national news. Oh my gosh, the interest rates. Oh, the market's changing. Every market is different. Mm-hmm. There is no national market of real estate. There's right. each individual market. We're still really short on listings here. Um, uh, spring market is coming. It's going to be busy, but it's going to be more of a balanced market. I don't think people are going to be getting 40000 over asking like they were in years past, but that's really good news from a buyer standpoint as well. If you know somebody that's looking to buy or sell, 612-859-2594. I donate a portion of every buy and sell to an area musician or band of the buyer or seller's choice. So you're telling me that if this Georgia couple are like, we fucking love high respects. I mean, pretty random. Yeah. But what happened to high respects? Can we give them that particular portion you're talking about? They could nominate high respects? They can nominate the high respects. Okay, but, not oh, high but respects. only. And if they miss the the, <laughs> it's over. We are also, huge on the island communities of Georgia. <laughs> you yeah, are, yeah. yeah exactly. Jekyll Island. Yeah. Well, let me ask you that. Before we talk about KBEM to wrap things up here, you know, high respects, obviously, been around for a quarter century. You've obviously 
obviously tour all over. Was there any sort of weird, unexpected hot spot where all of a sudden you're like, holy fuck, this place is packed. They are grooving on what we do. Did you have a destination where people are like, shit, yeah, the high respects are in town? Colorado. Really? Which is... I would say expected, it, you know, weed wasn't legal, but I think if people people moving there, it was, we're already treating it, and I think our music goes really. I was just, there was like a there's like three people who followed us around for like six days. They were from Colorado, but they followed us to like Phoenix and to New Mexico, all and, over the country. And this is like this is very different than following the dead because this is like yeah. we would see you at the same gas station. Yep, they'd be like, "Yes, hey Ted, and, and, <laughs> hey Bill." <laughs> and, you, know, you don't got to wait in line if you want to follow higher specs like yeah. you know you're gonna get front set, front row every time every single time well we'll talk more about what the future holds for high respects but let's make sure we don't bury the lead you being a lifelong musician uh, and a lifelong fan of music also obviously have found an affinity and i think you're good at it for radio and i don't say that to everybody i if i don't feel something i just don't say it out loud i keep it to myself you're obviously very uh literate and very you're able to articulate yourself very well you're also very quick on your feet you're very funny so i think radio suits you but you're also extremely knowledgeable when it comes to music so you decided voluntarily unlike some of us to leave your previous position at public radio and follow well i guess another public radio station right mm-hmm. i mean jazz 88 is a public station yeah yes it's owned and operated by minneapolis public schools okay but it is a, a public radio station but i mean so for some people they might look at that even if you're a jazz head as a step down going from the current right and they might look at it like well, why would you do that but now you've moved into being music director which kind of gives you a lot of say i know how these games work but you're also the afternoon guy what prompted your move to kbem the opportunity to DJ more was front and center. Yeah. So um, I was enjoying my time at the curtain. As you mentioned, I did leave voluntarily, yep. but I wasn't getting the reps I wanted to as a live DJ. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you've obviously been in this business for a long time. I don't think you're going to get to the your potential unless you're doing it five days a week. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think you're going to really be able to find what you can and can't do. So I wanted that opportunity and then it's certainly, as you can probably hear, I wasn't pinching my nose to go to the jazz station. I no. wasn't going, oh, I'm going to have to tolerate this stuff and play Charles Mingus. And, and well, play. but in radio, that that does happen a lot. Like, right. I mean, mm-hmm. like sometimes, like, the only job open in Tallahassee right now is a country music station. Yep. You're going to have to put the cowboy hat on and yeehaw, here we go. Here's Luke Bryan, you know. Yeah. Like, and obviously, you didn't have to do that. I, In fact, I don't think you would have done this if it weren't something that you knew you were going to love. I, I agree with you, and I, I was a fan of the station. I listened to the station. Uh, the gentleman who I replaced also did some weekends at the classical station mm-hmm. for Minnesota Public Radio, so I was able to talk to them, and I liked what they were doing. And on top of that, one of the reasons I chose to play some L.A. Buckner uh, today is it's possible that in maybe 2008, if they said, I wasn't in radio, but if I had been, and said, come to a jazz station, i go, oh, I, there's not a lot exciting happening in jazz at this moment. But you add in Kamasi Washington, you add in Robert Glasper, you add in a ton of incredible musicians who are coalescing around this moment where suddenly there is a lot of young people who are interested in jazz. That is exhilarating. Beyond being interested in jazz, they're aware of it, they're buying tickets, they're connecting with it. So knowing that I could be a part of that wave in my capacity was an extra draw to come in. Which I think is fantastic. So two other questions about KBEM before we move on. One is... Because of your affinity and your familiarity and, frankly, your celebration of what's happening locally in the jazz community, 
as music director, is it part of your personal philosophy to include as much local jazz as possible? Yes. I mean, as much local jazz as is advisable. Right. Which, I, I get radio, man. I understand. Like, you can't just do, we're going to do nothing but local jazz. I mean, there have to be safe places for people to land. You're occasionally going to have to play Take 5, right? I mean, that's the way the game works. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's got to go to the bathroom. That's a long shot. No, uh, uh, take 5 is an amazing piece of work. Agreed. Right. And, and I want people to hear something that either they recognize fundamentally or they recognize the name of the performer right. within about 15 minutes of listening. I want them to go, so that, that means I'm probably not going to play a 17-minute Happy Apple song or no. a 17-minute L.A. Buckner song. But that's also, I mean, and, and for people who are out there like, why not, man, just go for it. There are practicalities in radio that you can, certain schematics and certain functional things that you, if you want to succeed at what you do, even by public radio standards, you have to pay attention to certain formatics. You have to pay attention to it, and that is a welcome part of the game, in yeah. my opinion. And it's one of those things of going, especially I feel really thankful, uh, program director and station manager, both seem very much like, yes, let's pay attention to those, and yes, let's also present and advance the art form in the best possible way. So I have a lot of freedom to take the adventurous choice, and that means that I want to add in the local jazz that I think works, that I think sounds great, and make sure that we incrementally increase that and celebrate the artists that sound great next to other artists from other scenes, from other eras. I think that's great. I mean, let's bring KBEM well into the 21st century with jazz as jazz is supposed to because, well, let's be honest, man, jazz precedes rock and roll. It's been here a lot longer. And it also, because of its varied nature, has sort of an sort of endless number of expressions, right? I mean, it will always continue to evolve. And you mentioned a whole host of exciting artists that have really helped sort of bring people who never would have thought twice about anything even vaguely jazz-related into the fold the last couple of years. Let me ask you this then, because becoming a music director comes with a whole new slew of responsibilities, right? A, there's the freedom to get to decide and dictate and craft this whole new thing and make a new painting, but if that painting isn't good enough, you're going to fucking hear about it, not only from listeners, but from the powers that be, everybody around. What sort of unexpected challenges has being a music director at a brand new environment presented you with some of them are just the challenges of purely learning the software yeah and those are some of the least stressful ones but there was one day where i changed the artist separation and then i got a text from reed who was doing the morning show at the time and reed said we've played stacy kent five times today it's 11 (laughs) and she she was legit like is it her birthday and i was like did she die (laughs) that's usually when that kind of stuff goes down and so you know my apologies to stacy kent's family who Maybe we're worried. Yeah, yeah, what exactly. Happened? Oh, no. Um, oh, that's hilarious. There was one morning where <laughs> back in the day in the 90s, I played like three Pixie songs in a row, and someone called in, and they're like, my God, did Frank Black die? And I'm like, no, 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 just having a having a little fun, doing a little thing. All right, well, before we wrap things up here, and I want to talk about the future of High Respects, uh, I do want to thank, once again, Smart Start MN, our good friends at Moxie Wealth Management, my friend Sean Bernard mm-hmm. right there. Also, all of our Patreon members. Without you, we are nothing, and I promise you we're working on a spring event for Patreon members only as well as... Not an event, a bacchanalia is what I believe I have. Well, yes. 
Yeah. You know, Sean and I both quit drinking, and so yeah, yeah, exactly. it's hard to have a bacchanalia without a, a goblet or horn of wine or something, <laughs> yeah. right? So, uh, But something along those lines, except we also like to make them nice and early, like 4 to 7, that way everyone's home on yes. time and in bed at a decent hour, because, well, we're of a certain age. Anyway, we will be putting one of those together, and just thanks to anybody who's ever listened, promoted, shared, amplified in any way whatsoever. It's hard to imagine we're closing in on 300 episodes of this particular podcast, but Sean, here we are. Here we are, four Here away. We are, Sean McPherson. Uh, uh, I was. I almost called you the high respects. Actually, you know what? I'm going Go with that it. from now on. Fuck it. The high respects have a record <laughs> that came out at the end of December. Uh, an interesting time to release a record, but I have to imagine that even with everyone's busy schedules and everyone's got day jobs and doing things and family, friends, whatever. I have to imagine with a new album under your belt, other than the album release show, which also already happened you got to be champing at the bit a little bit to get out there and play. Yes, we're navigating how to book the gigs with a keyboard player who's spending an increasingly large amount of time in Rhode Island, which, ah. if you're not familiar with, it's on the eastern seaboard, Brian. So my, my parents lived there for a long time. I've spent more than my share of time in Providence. In fact, back in the 80s, went and saw a gun club at a little place called the Red Rocket back in the day. I've spent my time in Rhode Island. But yes, it's a long ways away. It's also very tiny yeah, and run entirely by the mob. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, that that is that is. I listened to a whole podcast about exactly that called yep. Crime Town. But yes, uh, so we're navigating how to do that when we'll use subs, when we won't. But we're uh, groveling to all the uh, festivals that are happening in in you know in our area this summer to try to get on some stages. Well, and that, I mean that again. This is another interesting part of the business, right? Like I've never begrudged anybody who works the angle the right way. You can go out and you can grind away and gig and gig and gig. But if you can get on the summer festivals. That's where you make your money, right? You like you make hay when the sun is out, and I don't. I don't begrudge musicians making real money for doing what they do because we, as fans, we're showing up for an experience, and as long as you provide it, I hope you're getting paid. Yeah, we're trying. I, I feel like our price has been kind of the same for ten years, and I feel like our value has also declined. So as as dollar, like I feel like we've just been kind of parked at the right place. But we're we want to get out there and do that. And I also do believe. I don't know if you guys are of this mind. I think there's bands that sound better. Outdoors and bands that sound worse. Wilco yes. sounds at least ten percent worse to me outdoors. Understood. Like I just go and then higher specs. I feel like we're fifteen percent better outside. Yeah. Like really? we're, just, we're just a really good outside band. So we like to book those gigs. I love sweating out at the turf club, but there's something really special. I mean, we've we've been the bread and butter of a lot of those you know yearly outdoor festivals, free festivals in the Twin Cities for fifteen twenty years. Right. And there's a reason we're darn good at that. Yeah, well, and again, the band is obviously highly celebrated, and I hope your Rhode Island keyboard player uh, doesn't take it the wrong way, but if you get a good gig, you'll find somebody else, right? I mean, I, I appreciate loyalty as well more than just about anything, but I mean, listen, man, you're out in Rhode Island. We got a gig to play, all right? So Grab a have... coffee milk and chill out. <laughs> <laughs> Sean McPherson is our guest. You can hear him every afternoon from what, 2 to 7? Uh, 3 to 7. 3 to 7 on KBEM, which is 88.5 on your FM dial, but I imagine there's got to be an online option as well, yep, correct? jazz88.fm. And what's ground zero for high respects in terms of people finding out what you're up to, what music is on the way, and should any gigs be announced, where are they going to find you? Uh, at highrespects.com, and we will be uh, releasing a video and scheduling some new music. Is there any possibility you're going to change the name of the website to the? thehighrespects.com. <laughs> There's... 
I've it's paid, too late now. I've paid so far in advance, Brian. I feel like <laughs> yeah. I got that URL to like nice. 2035 nice. or something. So. Go daddy. All <laughs> right. And you'll be able to find their GeoCities chat room at thehighrespects.geocities.com. Sean, thank you very much, man. And congratulations on a new endeavor because I've learned as I've gotten older, as I've bounced around or been bounced around, you're never more live than when you're changing and you're trying new things and you're learning new things. And this feels to me like a pretty exciting time for you. I'm happy for you. Thank you. I'm, I'm feeling really happy and really optimistic. And, and, and frankly, you know, I know that's not what this podcast is about. Thank you, because I was pretty green even when you came to The Current and I learned a lot co-hosting with you, but also just seeing how you and Jill operated. So. Yeah, well, I mean, I, trust me, I'm one of the biggest radio pricks in town. So, I mean, you, <laughs> you got to like sit. I, said, I learned what I could, and then I ignored the rest. Yeah, you no, know? you, got to, you got to sit at the feet of an absolute fucking master. <laughs> but thank you, Sean. I appreciate the nice <laughs> words. All right, that was very kind of you. Uh, Sean and Sean, uh, it's time to go. Let's hear one more song. And you have chosen a band that that really, truly, deeply disturbs me. Even when he's trying to write a happy song, John Darnell has gone through so much in his life and has such a twisted way of viewing the world. And every time I start to feel like, yeah, I'm dark and weird and interesting, I listen to a Mountain Goats record and I'm like, I'm I'm the squarest motherfucker that ever came out of Coon Rapids <laughs> ever, ever. Tell me why you picked this one to round things out. Um, I, I know we, we're coming up on time. Can I make one story from my Brian Oak listenership? Like the anything, Brian Oak. anything. Uh, early on when you guys started, one of the songs that I think Brian picked was uh, the original pol- Police on My Back from The Equals. Yeah. Okay. This where was Eddie al- Grant came from yeah. early on. Yeah. yeah. This was also at a time where I think sometimes when you guys ripped the music from Spotify, you would only rip one channel. Oh. I had never heard the original. So I'm listening to The Equals and I'm going... This is an amazing jam, and there's not even any drums on it. And I and I go, this is incredible. I, you can go back and listen to the episode, but it is like this scary, dry version where it's just like loud vocals, guitar, bass, cooking, no drums, because it was just one channel. I wonder if it's at the old studio. Well, you know, here's the thing. No, so this would have been on the current he's talking about. No, oh, no, no, okay. no, 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 this no, 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 on the, the podcast. Oh, on this one. Yeah. yeah, it must have been in the old studio, because really? I can't think of why that anything would have changed. This was way early for y'all, because <laughs> when, the, when the walks early were on, we really didn't long, have this room, yeah. Okay, I listened, when you guys had Chris Hockey on, and whenever you guys would have old radio people, oh, yeah. boom, listen to it like twice. The stories about somebody playing Presidents of the United States of America, like bringing the band up. I loved all those things. Yeah. John Lastman, that was who yeah. told that story. Y'all got us through the pandemic with these stories, <laughs> but that, that that left channel of, of, of the so weird. It was a okay, I'm sorry. I just had to no, give no, you all that, props. Yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah. That, well, I mean, props and not props. But that's <laughs> we, we started out at a different studio that we were kind of renting, leasing, using. And their equipment was, let's just say, a little shy yeah. of what the good people at Audio Equip yes. have hooked us up Understood. with here. So. A okay. Little better. The Mountain Goats. Recently, this album, All Hail West Texas, I sent, I got a little text group that's the guy, Chuck Terhark, my brother Steve McPherson, Murn Devaney. I sent a text that said, This record is like Nebraska and it's better than Nebraska by Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. I got no objections. I got no objections from Martin Devaney about going All Hail West Texas. Wow. And this is an ultimate four track record. Nebraska is an ultimate four track record. And one time you and I were working over at The Current and we were listening to the Mountain Goats together. And sometimes there's people who are a great tour guide. And Brian Oak, you're a great tour guide to this band. You say things about John Darnielle in a way I don't think about. And when we listened to that music together, I was like, This is the most fun I've ever had listening to the Mountain Goats, and now this is one of my jams. So I picked the tune Jenny from the album that is better than Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska, All Hail West Texas. Controversial.
Western Ranch style house on a new Kawasaki. All yellow and black, fresh out of the showroom. Our house faced west, so the big orange sun positioned at your back lit up your magnificent silhouette. How much better, how much better could my life get? 900 cubic centimeters of raw whining power. No outstanding warrants for my arrest. Whoa, 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 whoa. The pirate's life for me. around you I sank my face into your hair and then I inhaled as deeply as I possibly could you were sweet and delicious as the warm desert air and you pointed your headlamp toward the horizon we were the one thing in the galaxy god didn't have his eyes on 900 cc's of raw whining power no outstanding warrants for my arrest high diddle dee dee god damn the pirate's life for me